But thank Love you, Talk Radio. Love Talk Radio. Um, so we're on today to talk about women, uh, spirituality, and transformative leadership. And I'm Helen LaKelly Hunt, and thank you, Gail. Um, uh, I'm with some great women on the line, and uh, I just wanted to um, comment on the fact that so many of us as women really want to um, find ways to bring healing into the world. We want to be healing agents in the world. We feel called to work toward greater justice, to great work toward greater harmony. Um, we want the world to be a better place, and we're willing to put our shoulder to the wheel. Um, and and that that's true of an, of, of an awful lot of women, but for some of us, it is our faith that fuels our activism in the world. And that's really what this discussion is about. Uh, a book that Deborah Lindholm brought to all of our attention, Women, Spirituality, and Transformative Leadership. How are those three concepts related? Uh, you put those three together, and we think there's a combustion that can happen um, when women unite with um, the idea of leadership leadership that will change the word world transformative leadership and then you add that faith piece and something can turn on fire so those of us who are inter interested in the subject are talking about how do we draw nourishment from our religious roots our own faith practice um, the scriptures of our faith how can that become the root of our activism and how can our faith fuel our action in the world uh, very briefly, um, there are just four ways that popped into my head an hour or so ago that this might um, that might be ideas to allow this to happen. Um, we might gather together as women to help language. What does it mean for our faith to fuel our activism? Find common language as we talk about it. Um, Nell Morton said, we empower each other by hearing each other to, into speech. What do we mean by bringing faith into our work in the world? Second, we can find ways in our communities to find other women to be in community together through the sharing of our faith. Uh, third, we can find others with whom to pray together, to really practice together, not just discuss it intellectually but to participate in it uh, and fourth that the to keep in mind that the the goal of this is to move our activism um, from an energy of anger like a moral imperative uh, we demand equality da 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 we that's that's a valid kind of activism but we think our faith takes us to a deeper level of activism from which the spirit of love is moving, and the spirit of love um, is, is is the is the engine. <laughs> love is the most powerful agent in the world, and if we unite in love and we amplify our energy one to another, something powerful is released. So um, all of this is an effort to bring a little bit of heaven on earth. And I'll just close with the words of Hildegard of Bingen. All the, earths, all the arts and efforts serving human desires are needs derived from the breath of God sent into the human body. There is a music of heaven in all things, and we have forgotten how to hear it until we ourselves start singing. Mm. 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 Helen, that's a perfect introduction. This is Gail Sylvia, and you're listening to Sylvia Global Media. Our conversation today, Women, Spirituality, and Transformative Leadership. We have an incredible lineup of special guests, and um, off the top, we want to um, let you know that the response to this program was so overwhelming that we will be using this discussion to launch a series of conversations on women and spirituality. Uh, 
you join us at, you can listen to us live at sylviaglobalmedia.com. You can also call in and participate by dialing area code 347-215-6138. And you can tweet and Facebook your messages and questions to us as well. Um, K10M, you're on the call with us along with Kathy Shape and um, Deborah Lindholm. Um, why don't we, you know, have you start with your thoughts in response to what Helen just said? Hmm. Well, um, I think this topic is very timely, and uh, in light of also a recent um, book called Sheryl Sandberg with Lean In, uh, in terms of where women are today, uh, it shows that in the last ten years there's been very pretty much like zero progress. Uh, for women in terms of the upper echelons of leadership uh, in society, even though uh, women are getting more and more graduate degrees, undergraduate, and you know training, etc. And I believe that for women, uh, we've always kind of been marginalized, and uh, and so I think the verse from the Bible, Zechariah four six, that it's not by power nor by might, but right. by my spirit, so says the Lord. And I know that for myself personally, uh, I've just I've been on this journey where God has taken me uh, from, you know, being someone out in the local community all the way to the White House. And uh, it was really my faith uh, and God who has allowed me to stand uh, in circles where I would never have had the courage or, or the opportunity. And so in that way, I believe that for women, um, really the key to uh, making progress, to have that leadership platform uh, in, the, in this world is, to, is through faith. And I believe my personal journey uh, that has taken me to, you know, the rooms, corporate boardrooms to the White House, all that has uh, been because of God and my faith, uh, as well as at times there's been moments where you're afraid, where I was afraid. And um, during those moments when I felt that I needed to run away, uh, it was really knowing that God was in control that gave me the courage to move forward. Um, and I think that, you know, when I did an event where I expected 350 to people to attend, and I only saw 10 people registered three days before the event. <laughs> and at that moment, you know, I thought of Moses standing at the edge of the Red Sea and wondering, you know, how he got there. And that's how I felt. But just like Moses, knowing that it was God who had brought not only him, but also the Israelites out of Israel, out of uh, Egypt because of God, uh, I think gave him the boldness to step out into the water uh, as God commanded him to. And in the same way, um, for many people around me who told me to cancel the event, we had White House speakers speaking, uh, coming, the State Assembly. I mean, we had all the big dogs coming for this event, and to have only 10 people registered was quite scary. But knowing that when I retraced my steps uh, and knowing that it was God who had brought me to that point, gave me the courage to move forward, and I praise God that 350-plus people came, and that was really the start of our organization uh, in terms of 12 years later. But what gave me the greatest faith and courage was the fact that knowing that it was God who was behind my effort uh, has fueled me uh, into entering into whatever arenas where society has closed those doors on me. And I think in that way there is this power that comes, knowing that if God is for us, you know, who can be against us? <laughs> Thank you, Haypin. Kathy, you wrote the book. You know, you and you, well, you had it's an anthology of um, incredible authors, many of whom are joining us today. Can you tell us what you know your own faith journey has been, and and how your spirituality has transformed your leadership? Kathy, are you with us? How about you, Deborah? I hope we haven't lost her. I you know, hope maybe, we haven't, yeah. Um, just as, as we wait to find her, let me um, let me just set the stage a little bit um, about okay. how this came into conversation. Uh, a year ago, I was a delegate at the UN Commission on the Status of Women, 
which was the 56th gathering of women primarily and some very good men from around the globe who gather um, around International Women's Day every year in order to really move an agenda for women in the world forward. And it was a very, um, it was a very packed uh, time with very, very many choices of, of circles and gatherings and meetings to attend. And there was one on women's spirituality and transformative leadership. And it was right next door to Lima Gobi, who had just won the Nobel Peace Prize, and she was presenting, of course, on her work. But there was something that so drew me into um, into the circle that had been created by um, Kathy as the, as the chief one editor of pulling this anthology together. But that was the beginning of an amazing journey that Kathy and I have shared and several others for the last year. And it so spoke to me, the book, in so many ways um, because my spiritual practice has really been the most important thing in my life always. And as my my um, my interest in and activism in feminism for the last several decades has grown, thanks grown thanks to you, Helen, um, in many ways. Um, this this whole uh, movement of putting women in circles to really support and help each other has just has become a real key um, important aspect of my daily being and my daily work. And so when Kathy and I first met. Um, uh, it, it just began a conversation which I knew was going to get bigger and bigger. And I'll be so glad when she gets back reconnected. Or Kay, Lindell, are you on the line with us? Not yet. Um, so uh, Kathy's going to speak to the um, uh, the book as a whole and how it came to being because it's a, it's a wonderful and important story. But I I'd like to just. Um, comment a little bit about the whole global issue for um, for women's spirituality and transformative leadership, because the anthology is really um, it, it focuses on women of North America, um, of which I am one and have always been one. But I've been blessed to be a global citizen, and for the last several decades have traveled around the world um, uh, to to many places, and my work with the Foundation for Women for the last almost two decades has brought me to the poorest places on the planet and to the to the amazing, most astonishing circles of women um, in, in Asia, Africa, um, primarily, and recently in a little bit in Central America and in December to Peru. And, and what I've really found from that experience is that uh, uh, there's a deep knowing that I know in my work that you know, 1.5 billion people on the planet are living on less than a dollar a day, so one in five of our human family. And 75% of those are women and girls. And women on the planet do two-thirds of the work but earn only 10% of the income. And they produce half of the food, but they own only 1% of the land. But even though those astonishingly awful statistics and imbalance even though that exists in the world, I have never seen women of more deep faith in my life than in those circles of the poorest of the poor women around the planet. In fact, I've never experienced a circle of women in the microfinance work that I have been blessed to do where there isn't a dedication and a prayer at the beginning of the work and then um, a concluding prayer dedication at the end of the work. So I know that the focus of this current anthology and this work is um, is on North American women, but I just wanted to enter in the voices of our global sisters because um, I think it's it's very important that this conversation, which began in North America, ends up spreading and becoming you know much larger than just the North American continent. And there is one part of the book. Um, which really speaks to what I've experienced from those women, and I'll just I'll just read you two sentences quickly. It's on page ten, and it says, "Faith is our assurance that there is a divine plan of infinite love at work, even in the most challenging moments, and that we are a part of that plan." Faith gives us the confidence to move ahead with vast visions in the face of enormous odds. It's an invitation to work in active partnership with the divine in service to a better world. 
And that's what I think gets all of these women out of bed every morning who have so little because they believe they're part of a bigger plan that is really, as you said, Helen, based from a place of love. And that gets them going every day for the sake of the children, for the sake of the world, for the sake of humanity. So I'm delighted that this conversation has begun, and I'm so glad, Gail Sylvia, that we've made a commitment to, to make it a series and continue the conversation. Deborah, can I ask a question? Yes, of course. Um, you started your, um, and what you said was so beautiful, um, talking about the conference and the status of women and what the agenda is for women in the world. What What is the agenda? Well, I think that the, the biggest point is that women's rights are not women's rights, they're human rights, and I think that is right. a... That was a universal theme at the U.N. last year. It was a universal theme at the U.N. this year. Uh, the, the topic at the U.N. for the Commission on Status of Women this year was ending violence against women. And the gathering was in place for two weeks, and at the end it was a last-minute um, uh, wheeling and dealing so that a resolution uh, could be passed by the U.N. because there was objection to a, to a resolution Ending violence against women by, of all places, the Vatican. So, um, so it's a, it's a human rights issue that I'm very much um, standing what up. What was for. their objection? What, I, what have no, they... I have no, I have no idea. Hi, this is Phyllis Carrot. If I can speak briefly to that, um, I have been an attorney uh, as well as a Wiccan priestess for approaching thirty odd years, um, and. Uh, have um, been active at the UN and was there in 1995 and um, unable to attend this year, although our panel uh, was on violence and uh, culture and religion um, as it impacts women and was successful. But in preparation for that, I've been uh, very mindful as uh, an attorney. I was also very involved in uh, religious freedom and um, human rights and the the assault um on the language within um UN uh documents uh, has been going on for quite a while there was a big struggle in 1995 in Beijing uh, with an alliance i hate to say this but an alliance between the Vatican and the Arab countries which also placed a number of constraints on language and uh over a year ago um it was it was so it was Russia, which basically took the lead again with an alliance with the Vatican and a number of the Arab states uh, in trying to re- and in fact removing um, equality, the term equality from the human rights um, literature and positions at the United Nations and replacing it with respect for traditional values, which has been basically a kind of code language for permitting, um, quote, traditional practices like female genital mutilation, um, uh, wives throwing being thrown on the pyres when their husbands are killed, uh, honor killings, a long litany of, of violence against women, unfortunately, uh, that have been uh, justified uh, inappropriately uh, by religious doctrine or this language traditional practices. And so this effort has been going on for many, many years, uh, really since the late 1940s um, when my mother was at the United Nations uh, working with Eleanor Roosevelt. And uh, there's been an effort to extend human rights to women. And a wonderful essay recently um, called, you know, When Will We Be Human? Uh, Referring to this struggle, this ongoing struggle that women have over and over and over again to broaden the umbrella of human rights to include women um and it 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 is um that's a, a question that's very much at the heart of my own spiritual journey um i helen you began with um four really brilliant points the first one about gathering women um, to language, to find a common language um, of hearing one another into our own power. For me, part of that that early spiritual journey began with um, challenge to language, and I began to um, reconceive the divine 
not just as masculine, which is what our traditional religions and practices have long taught us, but uh, feminine as well. And then, of course, beyond gender itself. In opening the door to the possibility of a conception of God as mother or goddess as mother, suddenly I had a mirror in which I could see myself reflected back. I could begin to see um, myself as a vessel of the sacred. Um, I could see a reflection of things that the culture had denied me that had, and the role as a spiritual leader suddenly began to sort of reemerge from the mists of time um, when women, in fact, had been shamans and priestesses and sibyls and sages and teachers. Um, and then only rarely afterwards, you know, like Hildegard, um, the rare mystic or Julian of, of Norwich, um, who always had to, to tread such a careful line uh, or they risked being thrown out. Um, cast out, really. The 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 movement, uh, I think, towards uh, women as spiritual leaders and the, the sort of unlocking of the door of mystery uh, into a realm that's not just masculine but also feminine in this world and in other worlds um, started 40, 50 years ago. It started even before that with the mystics, but came there. There was a strong movement, which I, I, I always like to remind myself and other women who are sort of encountering this at, at this moment, as it surfaces more visibly in the culture, that there were pioneer mothers like Mary Daly, um, and Judith Plaskow, and Carol Christ, um, at various academic uh, locations really fighting a battle to and Merlin Stone, you know, to open out the our language, our imagery, uh our sense of what was sacred to see it uh in the world, in one another, uh and in uh the face of the divine feminine. Uh and for me, uh, what I wrote about in in uh, my little contribution to this amazing book was all these extraordinary voices, was the discovery of the divine feminine in the eyes of my sisters. When you talked about circles of women, um, it was in a circle of women that I really felt that I saw the divine for the first time with a feminine face. It wasn't an idea. It was an embodied reality. It was an experience. I could see the sacred in them shining in their eyes and in their hearts. And they were really what led me um, forward on my spiritual journey. So I have tremendous um, excitement about uh, this next unfolding, um, that wherever we, wherever we find it in whatever form it takes, it's the path to the future and to a very different future, you know, to a future that um, will have a lot of challenges, but which will also have this very feminine energy of rebirth, of a power of rebirth. So this is Deborah. I've just heard from Kathy. She can hear everything we're saying, but we can't hear her for some reason. Oh. So um, it's a it's a most unfortunate um, it's a most unfortunate circumstances. And Gail Sylvia, I'm not quite sure how we can do something to alleviate that. I would like to tell on. I mean, I don't know where Gail is, but um, I think it may mean we should have another meeting, like. <laughs> <laughs> it, there's a moral imperative like to to do this again where she is front center. Is there is there a way for her to call back in? She's tried several times and she huh. can hear she can hear us but she cannot um we we can't hear her. How about so, a cell phone as opposed she was on her landline. Um I think what she and could she okay. try a different phone cuz she was on a landline earlier. I just I think what she has to say is so important. I don't know. It is ha- so did, important. Did we, lose, did we lose Gail as well somehow? Um, she left already for her. Okay, I'm telling Kathy to call from her cell phone. You know, while we try this, it. Helen, since you still are on the phone, I would love for you to speak a little bit about 
one of the dearest connections that brought you and I together, and that was your book on faith and feminism, because I really saw you as a leader in being able to write and say and speak something that had been near and dear in my heart, but I, I didn't know that anyone else was out there in the world speaking that. So could, could, you, just, could you just share with us a little bit about what drew you to that and what, what caused the book to be birthed? Oh, I'm happy to. Uh, I just want to express appreciation for uh, this last speaker. Just, just, just uh, first, just lifting up that concept that um, that one thing women can do as we come together and and discuss our faith and that intersection between faith and feminism is help unlock the mystery of of this of this amazing world and the and the suffering in the world and we can't solve the suffering we can we can help hold it and we many of us are called to help hold it and to help help with the healing but the whole thing is such a mystery and um and I just loved um the fact that you fra- used that phrase as well as pioneer mothers that yes they're yeah, we're we're all still pioneering. There've been some women before us, but we're all pioneers. Mother, I somehow felt invited to be on that wagon trail, going going to where there's gold out west. And um, and then you and then you use the word rebirth. So uh, that that's really what we're about. We're about helping to ameliorate the pain in the world, but also it's about rebirth and transformative leadership. Which is what Kathy, I think, would be talking about um, if she was on about transformation on her book title. That's the word that's in red. All the others are in purple, but it's about a transformation. So um, um, the idea, um, Deborah, on faith and feminism was just simply that entering the feminist community, which I did just because I was a, a woman of means and treated very, I saw many other women of means who should be powerful feeling very disempowered in their homes when the subject of money came up because money was in the man's realm. And so I sort of slipped into uh, feminism through the back door of the issue of money. Um, and so I was sitting there working for feminism trying to, unleash money uh, rather than really studying feminism. Um, And um, what I noticed was that as I talked about faith issues that the feminists that I knew at the time seemed a little embarrassed and, and I got the sense that feminism was secular. And in the 70s and 80s, I think it even thought it was secular. Like it was sort of identifies a secular movement. Um, and so um, I thought, well, I'll just keep my mouth shut because this is, um, it, this is a secular activism. But after working as an activist, raising money for some years, I took out time to get uh, a doctorate in the origin of American feminism. And I was I learned there were many religious roots, so I did a dissertation so that became a book on um, uh, the religious roots of American feminism. So that's my interest to, to – I mean, I could say more, but I think that in a nutshell, um, that early, early on, it was really the abolitionist feminist and – and, and 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 who tucked their Bibles under their arm and went to meetings to go. The church won't let us speak out, and um, the government won't let us speak out politically because we don't have the vote. But damn it, God is telling me to speak out. I've got to speak out. Yep. We need to um, dismantle slavery. And so they organized because God told them to show up in the streets. And that was the energy that then led into the uh, Seneca Falls Convention. Those same women who were the abolitionist feminists uh, then years, some years later, 13 years later, convened the Seneca Falls Convention and religion was part of the Declaration of Sentiments that they wrote at Seneca Falls. So religious was plopped right into the middle. And I talk about why then it became marginalized. It was sort of 
really heresy um, or wasn't politically expedient to talk about women, quote, overthrowing the monopoly of the pulpit, close quote, which is how they phrased it in the Declaration of Sentiments. Uh, Susan B. Anthony said, we will never get the vote if we talk about women overthrowing the monopoly of the pulpit. So sadly, the faith issue had to get put aside, but it was what helped fuel American feminism. And that is what we need um, to strengthen feminism in the future. Can you hear me now? This is Kathy. Kathy! Yay, Yay. Kathy! We're so happy! (laughs) Yay! Um, I I have been listening to uh, to all of the wisdom that has been shared on this call, but I've sort of been in the in the in a place where women often end up. I've been in a place in between, um, where you couldn't hear my voice. Um, and so um, I see really. Where I am. Can anybody hear me? Yeah. Can anybody hear me now? Hi, we this can is hear China. You. I've I've been on the line now. <laughs> Quite okay. Some time. Okay, and, China. You know, yeah. obviously we've had some some technical difficulties here, and Gail Sylvia had to step away. So, Kathy has just joined us, who is is uh, um, standing up for the book that is our discussion item today, which is women's spirituality and transformative leadership. So, Kathy, Fantastic. I know, like you, you and China have now heard. 30 minutes of us talking about something that you should have started. So can, can, can we rewind the conversation? And, and Kathy, can, can you now put some context about how the book began and, and, and launch the rest of the discussion? Well, actually, yes. And, and I think in some ways it might be perfect because to, to follow upon some of the things that Phyllis just said um, about the journey of women um, being women's rights, being humans' rights, and, and the, the information that Helen just shared about the trajectory of the larger women's movement and its intersection with faith at various points is, is in many ways the perfect context for this book, which I think was born out of a moment in time here when there are big shifts taking place in multiple realms um, that we're talking about today. There are big shifts taking place in the world of religion and spirituality. The fastest growing religious identification in the United States right now and the third largest in the world is what is called unaffiliated um, some people are referring to those people as the nuns, as in N-O-N-E-S. Um, one of my colleagues at the Women's Task Force at the Parliament of the World's Religions, I think more accurately describes a lot of those unaffiliated people as being the alls rather than the nuns, that they are people who incorporate multiple spiritual traditions into their spiritual practice and they no longer identify themselves only with one religion. So that's one of the shifts that that our book represents, that we include voices of women who are deeply engaged in a traditional religion, Muslim, Baha'i, Christian, um, Buddhist. And we also include the voices of women who think of themselves as spiritual but not specifically religious any longer. And the other shift I think that the book embodies is what is the next turn of the spiral for feminism? And when when Helen first opened this conversation, she talked about that shift from anger to love as a motivating force, as as the evolutionary driver, if you will. And that is, I think, what I see happening with a, with a new generation, a new phase, a new turn in the women's movement, that we, we are not so much demanding our rights and fighting against things as we are 
linking arms and standing for compassion and collaboration and cooperation and interdependence and love on this planet. Um, And not just love for one another, but love for the planet itself, for animals, for by for the environment um we we are taking our spiritual energy our beliefs which are very deep and very real for us whether they come from the base of a an identified religion or whether they come from that rich territory in between religions where a lot of women have lived their lives um, and we're taking those beliefs and we're walking into the world um, as servants of something better, as, as um, carriers of a vision of a different kind of a world that, that we can live in. And it is a world, it is a work that we are doing that is really coming from a place of love. Oh, beautifully said. Thank you, Kathy, so much. And 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 China, since your voice is now with us, would you like to jump in as well? Well, I just was. I'm just marveling at this rich, rich conversation, and so grateful to be included in both the conversation and the book, which is such a remarkable tool and gives us such a, a well delineated path. I think to follow in terms of where we're going and, the, and all the information you put in about circles and the shared experiences. But I was just thinking when you were speaking right now, Kathy, about taking our beliefs into the world, I wonder if the unitive peace between us, amongst us, might also be that faith without works is dead. And there, the kind of division uh, between those who believe that one must live out that are values in the world and those who have a different regard and believe that faith alone is enough. Um, you know, there's long histories to both sides of that story, but um, it, I think that that may be one piece of connected tissue. I know that's certainly been the challenge and the call for me that has deepened my spiritual practice enormously from being invited and asked to help save a very small piece of ground, uh, a cemetery named Love, an Mm. African-American cemetery (laughs) named Love in East Mm. Texas. And, you know, if it had been named Whispering Pines or something else, I, I, I would never have gone through what I've gone through. But the fact that it was named Love, that the keeper of love, an older woman, an elderly woman now named Mrs. Muthel Britton, because she had asked me to help her get back in. That community had been locked out for over 40 years. Um, I ended up thinking I was making phone calls, but it's, you know, all these years later, it's, of course, been much more. But And now the piece of work I'm doing is called Resurrecting Love, and I think that's also what we're talking about. Uh, because it's not just about, for me, personally in this situation in East Texas, this African-American burial ground that got landlocked and people were denied access, um, that's been a metaphor for where we are today about how often other people may be disregarded if they're, if they're what they want is inconvenient to others, uh, large landowners in this case, despite the law that's on the side of the community. So, it's been uh, a great challenge, and I've had to think, you know, what, given that this is love, given that we've been asked to help clean up love, it's forced me to look into my own life and look at where do I have to clean up love and my ability to love, and what do I need to do to deepen that? And also, because we were up against a large timber corporation, one of the things that became increasingly apparent is that though we got the law changed in Texas and many other things, that that fighting, like it's like someone else was saying earlier, I don't know if it was Helen or, or Phyllis or Deborah, you've all spoken so eloquently, but if that's not the path of choice today. It's, it's 
and and even though for us practically it was it was not really a choice, but it seems like what we're really doing and what is exciting to me with the larger collaboration that's begun to happen in that in the Marshall, Texas community, as now one of the white colleges has asked to get involved with the students from the historically black college, Wiley, is that we're surrounding this conflict, this kind of ongoing conflict with a larger community of love and creating celebrations. And we just had a poetry slam in the cemetery on March 2nd after the cleanup. So um, it's, it's been a great joy to see. Uh, there, there's no you know, end yet in sight, but other than the, this building of the larger community that's based in love and joy and faith. And primarily, we we as women are calling those circles. That's that's what's happening now. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's that's what I have to say for the moment. So please go on. Thank you. So Kathy, maybe um, I know I know many of of your authors, other authors have have joined in today. Do you know um, if any of them can hear us? I'm not sure. Um, If any of you are on the line, if you can hear us, please speak up. I can hear you, Linda. Linda's here. Linda's here. Wonderful. Who is there? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, Linda, just wondering what you'd like to reflect um, from your place as as a subtle activist. Well, there's so much here. I could probably go on to someone... Stop me if I go on too long. But um, what I, one of the things that um, I think it was that China just said about the intersection between faith alone and faith without works um, it made me think about my own experience and journey um, because my role, which is one that I did not seek out, uh, but came to me in forming a a spiritual uh, service network for women called Vessels of Peace, which um, was active in the world in a in a very quiet way, but yet a very profound way for about eight years, uh, from 2002 to 2010. That 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 work was in part about um, a new kind of activism, a new way of bringing faith or spirituality to how we might act in the world and. And that term, subtle activism, which I didn't know when I began the work of Vessels of Peace, I discovered it um, about five years later. But when I first heard those words, subtle activism, there was this aha moment of, oh, that's what I and all these women around the world have been doing all these years in Vessels of Peace. We are subtle activists. We are women whose spirituality and faith has just propelled us into this deep desire to be of service and to be of service through that aspect of our life, to somehow bring our practice, bring our connection with the divine into some form of action that we feel can help but that may not look like traditional activism. And so my journey in this work uh, was really about helping women to understand that deep longing in them for both a a powerful community of women in which they could experience uh, spirituality in a new way, a way that, as one of the earlier speakers spoke about, Phyllis, um, gave a feminine face and, and energy and understanding to the experience of God and to the experience of the... Um, awakening of the spiritual journey that we all, whatever our background, you know, have experienced directly or tapped into or long for, um, how to bring that together with making the world a better place and and why why women? You know, why was it so important that it be women gathered together to do this? And... Um, I'm really only one of a a number of women, of Kathy is another, and that is actually how we met, who in those months and years after 9-11 were 
I like to use the word activated. Something in us came alive that said, I am meant to do something. I'm meant to do something important. Uh, I don't know what it looks like, but I know it has to do with women. And when I first got that message, that guidance, and, and it really came in kind of a mysterious way, and we've spoken about the mystery of all this, I really wasn't ready to say yes to it. I resisted it. I I couldn't see what it looked like. All I knew was I was to bring women together in circles for some sort of spiritual service and that it would be a benefit to the world, but I had no details of any of the rest of it. And it took me a long time to be ready to surrender to that message and say, okay, I'm going to step out and just trust. And like our beginning speaker spoke of when she had her conference scheduled and only 10 people signed up, it was that I have no idea what this looks like, but I'm going to put out the call to other women and see what happens. And that's how it began. I, I sent an email in 2002 to the, all the women I knew and said, I'm being told I'm to do this. I have no idea. Will you help me midwife it? And the response was amazing, and that's how the work began. But it was so much about um, the, the details of Vessels of Peace, you know, aren't, aren't important right now for our conversation, but but what was significant about those years and the practices we offered collectively, often virtually, often through calls like this, we were not always in physical circle together. We were often meditating, praying, holding a space for events in the world that were unfolding, tragedies, disasters, or events like our political elections in this country, for example, or for more more abstract spiritual um, unfoldings like uh, the hope for greater peace on the planet and among humanity. Uh, so we were creating these practices and events and just trusting that somehow what we were doing was was of value. And what, what I can prove, I cannot prove, cannot say to you that what Vessels of Peace and all the women who were involved with that uh, I cannot prove how we may have affected the world. But what I do know is that the women who were who followed that same prompting that, that I had and became part of it and worked as subtle activists together with me and with others, that our individual journeys changed, our individual understanding of our own spiritual uh, being changed, and therefore, our service in the world changed, and and it was ultimately about this um, deepening of the understanding of our capacity to serve in love, in trust, and in community together. So I'll stop now and let someone else speak, but that's, that's some of what's arising for me as I'm listening to all of you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Um, I don't know if you guys know that um, Lisa Marino Dickinson is on the phone, the president and founder of Stopcade Now. Lisa. Yes. Lisa, hi, it's Annette Ross. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Have you been listening into the conversation? I have from from the minute you guys <laughs> begun. I'd love to hear your thoughts about what you've heard so far. I am. I am. I actually just have lots of questions for these ladies. Do you have any thoughts they've been talking about? Um, well, I always think it's great when any being um, is enlightened and let goes of fear and does what they know their purpose is. So that's what I'm feeling. Um, questions? Not really questions. Admiration for truth. Um, I know that my being and um, how I've walked, you know, my journeys has always been with faith, has always, has never been a question of why what's been brought my way, but more of how and what to do with it. Um, so I can understand and appreciate the, the words and thoughts and movement behind the conversation. Um, I didn't know if anybody 
had questions more for me and what and how it's, you know, faith is affected in the role that I'm presently in, I wasn't really sure what to expect. All I can say is that I think empowering in general is wonderful and empowering women, um, and this might be a little bit not too deep, but with regards to uh, cheering one on and encouraging and um, helping one another and women especially grow is fabulous and needed. Um, I usually tend to feel that those who who don't want to wind up chasing their own tails, and it's about bringing everybody uh, together and helping one another and leading them so we can all be leaders in, in our own purpose. I'm not sure who the last speaker was, but I, this is China, but I would like to perhaps introduce, perhaps you could share more from your own experience. One of the things I'm realizing is I'm listening to everyone, um, but there's certain stories. I know some of the stories in Helen's book were about the uh, the early feminists and the abolitionists, and uh, a book also I read on African-American women preachers who answered that call to preach even though they weren't allowed to, to travel, to do all kinds of things because it was, you know, the spirit in them that was so alive. I'm wondering what stories, uh, and then for myself it's been the story of the Hindu, one of the stories has been the Hindu goddess Durga who comes when the world is on the verge of destruction. Just that opening line itself tells me that we've been in this place before that can look so bleak. But there's hope because the world we have the world has survived before, and I won't go into the whole story. But I'm wondering what other sort of igniting stories or stories that, like the last speaker was just saying, help encourage women, help encourage us, cheer us on, keep us going when our energy might flag. Um, so I want to put that out into the circle and see if there are any ripples. This is Phyllis. One of the stories that. Uh, engaged me before I knew what the story was. Um, it came to me in bits and pieces and um, what I now refer to as sort of breadcrumbs that were scattered on the trail and that um, in the midst of my overdeveloped Logos law school brain, I had the good sense to follow. And it turns out that they were sort of two inter culturally interwoven stories um, and they became the model for my own journey and I see I see it as um, a framework that uh, provides meaning not just for me as a as an individual but for women in a cultural sense that uh, the Jungian idea of the myth as the dream of a culture and most of the stories of spiritual journeys um, of uh, of the hero when Joseph Campbell wrote that seminal book on the hero's journey all the great uh, religious myths tend to circulate around men around Buddha, uh, Mohammed Jesus um, and they follow a pattern of a descent and then a return, a descent into a kind of underworld confrontation with death uh, um, and a discovery of a gift which is then brought back to the world but there is a, there are quite a number of uh, very ancient versions of those stories um, that involve women. So there's the Persephone story, who is the daughter of Demeter in the Greek tradition. Demeter is the, the great goddess of the earth, and Persephone is abducted into the underworld. Uh, and then finally, um, through uh, the intervention of her mother, returns to the world and she returns this time of year which is very typical for a, an agriculturally based mythos to develop that when spring returns it's life returning to the planet um, that myth for me was a, a heroine's descent um, and really captured for me the sense of what happened to women for several thousand years where their power was essentially abducted into the underworld by, by patriarchy um, by you know Olympian gods, 
you know, father figures who traded them off in marriage deals and things of that sort, which is the the traditional practice. Um, And that it's through sort of the divine feminine that we are brought back up out of the world. And when we come, we come bearing a gift of life, of new life. And and that is um, a gift generated out of our innate capacity for love. That story, um, which has a a counterpart with... um, Inanna, the great goddess Inanna, uh, and also with the goddess Isis in the Egyptian culture, Mm -hmm. who actually reconstitutes her husband. I think that's another version which is a very potent one for us, that she remakes uh, the masculine. She brings the torn pieces back together and conjures up a, a new phallus for him out of gold makes love to him and similarly gives birth to a new life. She brings the masculine back to life and transforms it the masculine sexuality. Those myths to me are so potent for women right now. And for me, yeah. Very very much so, very much so. This is Deborah in Gail Sylvia's absence and we have four minutes left and Kathy, um I'm wondering if you can just uh somehow bring our circle uh, together um, at the end of this conversation. Mm, well, I mainly am looking forward to the next conversation and the next and the next and the next. Um, I feel like we we planted a whole variety of seeds here and um, there's going to be a, a whole hillside of beautiful wildflowers blooming you know, months from now as a result of this conversation. I want to share some words with you um, from the book itself, um, just a little snippet. Every time six women gather in a living room around a candle to speak from their hearts and listen to one another, something happens. And energy is seeded in the universe and spreads out like ripples in a pond. You can't see where it goes. We are here. We are who we are. Something has shifted in the world. Something is shifting in the world. <laughs> yes. For sure. For Something sure. is shifting in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Gail Sylvia sends me a note now just to say um, thank you to everyone who has joined us today and for your patience. Not clear what caused those technical difficulties, but as Kathy, you well said when you finally could join us, um, you were in the place of the in-between. And I think that, that that's a that's a commonly known place for many of us women who are um, committed to being of service to the world with their spirituality and and standing up with their leadership and trying to create a new world that is based much more from that place of of love and the feminine spirit. So she has given me her assurance that this is just the beginning of a conversation, just so that you know there were more than 250 RSVPs for this conversation today. So the interest is rich um, among among many um, women to join in this conversation. And, and Kathy, might you just mention something that, that um, is the next step in, in this journey for you concerning November gathering in San Francisco? Absolutely, yes. Um, women's Spirituality and Transformative Leadership was born out of an organization that I work with called Women of Spirit and Faith. And that is an ongoing um, community of women. Um, and we will be gathering as a large for a large conference November 7th through 10th in San Francisco um, for an event which um, is currently working under the, sub, the, the, the title Embodying Our Spiritual Leadership. And you can find out, we will be opening registration for that event on April 1st um, to the public. And um, after that date, you can find information about that gathering, about other ways to be involved with this kind of conversation. We have a blog called The Divine Feminine, which is hosted on the Pathios.com platform, which is a collaborative blog and invites the voices of all different kinds of women from various faith perspectives. 
Um, we invite women to create local circles because it's very important, I think, for women to have the opportunity to be in safe, sacred space with one another right now um, and a whole variety of other ways to engage and connect. Um, come and play with us. Thank you, Kathy, and thank you for midwifing the book and putting it out in the world that started this conversation today. And on behalf of Gail Sylvia, I just thank you all for being part of this uh, first of many conversations. Um, It was a joy to be in the circle with each and every one of you, and I so look forward to many more. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families, as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City.